All right, good times. What a great time of worship this morning. Thanks for uh, joining us here today. You know, it is Christmas time, which means I know a whole bunch of things, a whole bunch of traditions. How many of you uh, have a favorite Christmas movie or a group of movies that you're working your way through right now, right? Plenty of hands uh, around the room. I uh, was looking at an article this past week. Uh, this article pointed out the top 20 Christmas movies of all time, at least according uh, to this particular writer. And uh, uh, some of these five maybe are on your list. They make up the top 20. They're Scrooge with Bill Murray. Never seen it, but uh, Bill Murray's funny and all. Uh, there's A Christmas Vacation, which I know is a, a favorite for many people. There's The Santa Claus with Tim Allen. There's A Christmas Story, which is probably on TV right now somewhere and will be through Christmas Day. And then don't worry if you're a big Elf fan because it made number four. Uh, on the list. But within this top 20, there were also plenty of classics too, like these three, The Miracle on 34th Street, There's a White Christmas, and It's a Wonderful Life, which I've still never seen. I I've never seen it before, which I know some of you may think is appalling, but I just have never seen it. But there were some... Uh, Let's just call them debatable ones that made the list too. Movies like Bad Santa and Gremlins and Die Hard, which if those movies make your Christmas list, like you better check yourself. Like you got something wrong with you if those make your Christmas list. Uh, number one on the list, in case you're wondering, The Muppet Christmas Carol. Some yes, but aren't you surprised? Like I was a little, I mean, I like Kermit and Fozzie and all. I mean, I'm always up for a good Muppet movie, but I was a little surprised to find that it was at least number one on their list. But uh, another movie that made the list, and I don't remember where it fell in the top 20, Home Alone, right? I mean, it, I, I think most of us have seen Home Alone. If you haven't, I'm going to spoil it for you. You've had like 30 years uh, to see it, so I, I'm sorry. But uh, Home Alone stars uh, Macaulay Culkin. He plays Kevin, this bratty, never been told no in his life, uh, young kid who can't stand his family. And uh, his parents, though, might be worse because within the movie, they get on a plane to Paris without their son. They forget that they don't have their son uh, with them, and uh, so they manage to somehow begin this trip before they realize they've left Kevin home all alone. And Kevin loves the freedom at first, all right, he loves the independence, but there comes this point in the movie when he starts seeing all of these families. He sees all of these people together out doing things, out sharing meals, out celebrating in, in different Christmas events, and it just kind of hits him that being alone isn't as glorious uh, as it first seems. And when you think about it, like Christmas has a funny way, doesn't it? Christmas has this funny way of, of messing with your emotions. Like it has this unique way of uh, amplifying things like loneliness in our lives. And it happens to every single one of us uh, uh, at some point or another in different shapes or form. Like I, I think it's safe to say that we all struggle with something like loneliness in different ways. Like it's true of the soldier that may be serving overseas at a time of the year like this or uh, the family that he or she has left behind. I mean, certainly loneliness is real for the widow who recently lost the love of their life. It's true of uh, the young couple that's grieving the loss of the baby or uh, maybe the challenges of getting pregnant. Uh, it's real. It's a real feeling for a, a young mom who feels all alone. It happens to the young single, right, that's living in a community. And you don't even have to be young, but if you're single, living in a community like ours where so much uh, is about family and those that are retired too with maybe nobody to spend 
uh, Christmas with. Leadership can be lonely. Uh, if you're in a position of leadership, if you're in a, a management kind of position, like you know the loneliness of making difficult decisions and maybe difficult decisions as you're heading into a new year. We all experience loneliness. Uh, it creeps in. It rushes in at times, and the, the holidays have a way of making it a little more evident. But it's not just the holidays. Like this struggle uh, has led uh, some to some experts to call or to declare that we are living in a loneliness sort of pandemic. Uh, a recent study shows that since 2013, Americans have been spending less and less time with people. Uh, with friends and with companions and more and more time by themselves. And sadly, a lot of that time is spent all alone streaming shows on, on TV. It's scrolling through social media. We shop online instead of going out. And since 2014, on average, our time spent alone, get this, has increased by almost 10 hours a week. Uh, according to a February 2021 Harvard report, 36% of Americans, including 61% of young adults and 51% of mothers with young children, feel a serious loneliness. And this won't surprise you, but those numbers have only increased substantially since the COVID-19 pandemic. And not surprisingly, loneliness can lead to serious health issues too, things like early mortality, uh, physical and emotional challenges, uh, depression, anxiety, heart disease, and, and various forms of abuse. And, and while loneliness can be a definite problem any time of the year, again, family-oriented holidays like Thanksgiving, like Christmas, uh, don't help. Add to it the winter weather, right? We haven't seen the sun in like a week now. And any of these can only increase the feelings of loneliness that so many of us experience. Today, this morning, I want to talk to you about what Christmas was like for one couple, especially one man, a guy by the name of Joseph, who we know is the earthly father of Jesus Christ. And the events surrounding his life, his, uh, his marriage, the, the birth of Jesus must have been incredibly exhilarating, but at the same time also frustrating and confusing and even a little lonely. But what we're going to see in Joseph's story today and what I pray that God might do and you might do and some of you is to see what is true of Joseph's story, how it's also true of my story and your story too. And that is that no matter what we may face, uh, no matter the circumstances that we go through, no matter the loneliness that we encounter, we are never alone in Christ. Uh, we've been singing about this this morning, that we are never alone in Jesus Christ. And Christmas reminds us that Jesus is Emmanuel that he is God who is with us. And so if you've got your Bible today, uh, I want to invite you to turn to the New Testament, uh, the second half of your Bible, just the third book into the Gospel of Luke, all right? Luke today, Luke chapter 1. We're going to jump around to a couple of different places, but we're going to start in Luke chapter 1 as we continue in this series called Travel Light. This is the third week uh, of it, and uh, here's what we've been saying, that in a crowded, uh, busy holiday season, like it's common for people, it's common for us to be weighed down by, by things like worry and busyness and despair and loneliness. And so this series will help us see that the weight, uh, kind of this burden that we are at least tempted to carry around at times, comes from feelings that God never asked us to carry or at least carry on our own. And his solution really is pretty simple, and that is to leave the baggage behind and to travel light. And so two weeks ago, Steve kicked off this series talking about anxiety and worry and how those things can wear us, they can, they can burden us. 
busyness. Last week we talked about busyness. Today I want to talk with you about loneliness and what it means to leave loneliness behind. I want to tip you off now that we're going to have a special time of prayer again today after our service as we have the other two weeks. And so if you're feeling anything today, if there's something that, that is bothering you, if there's something that's causing you stress or anxiety or maybe some hurt right now, we just want to let you know that after the service today we'll have some people up front and we'd love for you to come with us and we'd love to, to be able to pray with you. But uh, before we do that, you know, again, as we think about where we want uh, to go today, I want to zoom in for a few minutes on the person of Joseph. Again, the earthly father of Jesus. And interestingly, when it comes to Joseph, we don't know a lot about him except for the fact that like Mary, God placed an enormous amount of responsibility on him. And so we're going to use a little bit of our imagination today as we think about his life and circumstances. But I think it's fair to say that like you and me, Joseph, Joseph must have experienced some incredible moments of loneliness and confusion at one wondering what in the world is God doing, where are things leading, and how should we respond to it all. And so again, Luke chapter 1, that's where we want to begin. It all started in a village called Nazareth. And as you can see uh, from the map here, uh, if you look at the center of the map and you find the star of Jerusalem, the capital, the holy city of Israel, if you go directly north or up on the map, up towards Galilee, you'll see the village of Nazareth. And it was located about 70 miles miles north of Jerusalem, a, a Galilean village. It was really a kind of backcountry, nowhere sort of a place in biblical times. In fact, it's not even mentioned in the Old Testament. And uh, one of Jesus' disciples, uh, at least one of his future disciples, once made the joke, can anything good possibly come out of Nazareth? And so there's nothing really special about Nazareth except for the fact that this is where Mary and Joseph lived, at least for part of their young lives. And the Gospels tell us very little about Joseph, but if he was like most young men from Nazareth, he was hardworking, uh, he was a faithful Jewish man. Most men like Joseph, most young men wouldn't have thought about marriage until at least their late teens uh, or maybe as late as their mid-twenties, but that's not the same for the young women, women like Mary. It was customary for girls to get married shortly after puberty which means she may have been 13 or 14 or 15 years old at the time. We don't even uh, know how the two met. They potentially might have met at a, a local festival or some kind of community event. And while romance and courtship did play uh, some role, it wasn't the biggest role typically in marriages in places like Nazareth. Most marriages were arranged by the parents of the couple. And as biblical scholar Paul Meyer suggests, it's probable uh, that Joseph would have uh, at least become somewhat familiar with Mary, maybe approached his parents about her, acknowledging his interest in her. His parents would have discussed it amongst themselves, and they likely would have been intrigued by Mary's reputation, uh, her family, her family's reputation, certainly their ancestry. And that's an important factor because both Joseph and Mary were descendants of the royal family of Israel, meaning they could trace their family tree back through King David. And so that family connection was extremely important in the ancient world. But from there, Joseph's father might have contacted 
Mary's father, uh, the two would have talked, and Mary's parents would have then had some time to discuss it amongst their family. Uh, there eventually would have been an agreement between the two families, both sets of parents. And as Meyer explains, once everyone was on the same page and agreed together, then a dowry would have been determined. Joseph would have been brought uh, before Mary. Their parents would have offered a formal benediction, and they would share a cup of wine together. And this event would have initiated, which was called in the ancient world, the betrothal, all right? This was the betrothal period, similar to an engagement, all right, but far more binding and serious than what we know as a, a, an engagement today. Only divorce could break the betrothal. And that means that even though they weren't legally married yet, had either Mary or Joseph been unfaithful to each other from this point forward, it would have been called adultery and could be punishable by death. Now, in most cases, especially in a very conservative place like Nazareth, it was expected that the bride-to-be would maintain her virginity until the couple was officially married. And in the case of Joseph and Mary, the New Testament is clear that Joseph didn't know Mary sexually until after the birth of Jesus, Matthew chapter 1, verse 24. And so we can assume that everything was going as planned. All of the details coming together, we got the DJ lined up and the caterer and the photographer, all these things. But no, seriously, the betrothal, the wedding plans, the upcoming ceremony, until one day an angel of the Lord appeared to Mary in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 30. Let's read it. Let me read it for you. We read, but the angel said to Mary, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary, the 13, 14, or 15-year-old girl, asked the angel, since I am a virgin. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Can you even imagine? All right, and, and some of you women in the room, or if you have a young daughter, can you imagine like you have this 13 to 15-year-old young woman in your life? You're preparing for a wedding, which again wasn't abnormal back then, but if you're married then, the angel... All right, that encounter in and of itself, certainly the message, the shock, how in the world are you going to communicate such news? But look at Mary's response to the angel, verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. What an admirable response, right? Like what a servant. I would say God knew what he was doing when he chose this young woman named Mary. And so Mary had this encounter, but also the affirmation from the Lord, which prepared her and gave her the confidence to proceed. But what about Joseph? Let's talk about him for a few minutes today. Like certainly, word of Mary's pregnancy must have been absolutely devastating and shocking for him. I mean, he knew he wasn't the father, and what in the world did he think of Mary's explanation? 
I think the reality is, I think it's fair to say the news would have hit him and, well, I think we could say put him in an incredible predicament. And if you've ever faced a predicament of your own, if you've ever been on the receiving end of some shocking news, if you've ever had to make a huge decision on your own, you know how difficult and lonely it can be. According to the laws of the day, Joseph had at least three rights or options. Number one, he could marry, marry quickly. All right, and, and move forward and hope that the gossip and the public shame would at least dissolve over time. Secondly, he could publicly terminate the betrothal and divorce Mary as an adulteress. And while not common, he at least had the right to ask for her execution. Or third, the third option is that he could dissolve the marriage contract quietly and let Mary go on with her life and the baby and go be somewhere else. And what did he do? Well, as Matthew chapter 1, skipping over, go back a couple of Gospels, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, here's what we read. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be or betrothed to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, though, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Notice that Joseph was, as Matthew records, faithful. He was faithful to the law. The point is that Joseph had character. The point is that Joseph cared for Mary and for the baby enough that he was willing at least to divorce her quietly but that also means then that he would likely have to share in some of the controversy of all of this as well. Again, talk about a lonely place. Talk about a, a frustrating, discouraging place. And certainly the shock, but also the hurt and the pain of betrayal. And some of you know the pain of betrayal. You know the pain of, of loneliness that accompanies it. Like maybe you've been on the receiving end of some shocking news before. Uh, maybe betrayal on the part of somebody that you love. Uh, maybe your parents aren't together this year. And so this Christmas is going to be very different in that mom and dad aren't living together. Maybe you've had to say goodbye to somebody that you love in the last months or sometime in this past year. Maybe... You're watching a son or daughter right now make some very harmful, destructive decisions in your life, and, and you know how that stretches you. Maybe you feel betrayed by your work. Maybe there were some promises that were made over this past year, and, and those haven't been kept. Again, loneliness is real. Like when you, when you go through difficult, even traumatic times, like loneliness and pain can become a very real and, and daily sort of a struggle. Like Joseph must have felt betrayed. He must have felt abandoned and alone, but thankfully that's not the end of the story because if we continue in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, look what's going to happen for Joseph. We read, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord, like with Mary, appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will, Mary will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save people from their sins. Mary, you could say, Mary would never forget her face-to-face -face encounter with the angel. Like she'd need that memory. 
All right, I'm pretty confident that she'd need that memory, that reminder of that encounter in her life for all of the days and the years that were before her. But now an angel approaches Joseph much in the same way and like Mary. I got to believe that this encounter with the Lord made an impression on him. Because in verse 24 we read, when Joseph woke up, notice the words, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Think about this for Joseph. He's got this huge dilemma. He's certainly got all of these voices, this influence around him, people wanting him to respond, but then there's an encounter with God. And what does Joseph do? He responds obediently to what God asked him to do. But why? And how? How do you begin to do something like that? How do you begin to respond obediently when it seems like your world comes crashing down? I think it's just simply this. It's Joseph realizing, I'm not alone. I think it has everything to do with Joseph realizing that he was not alone, that the angel of the Lord who came speaking on behalf of the Lord, I think that was enough for Joseph for him to realize that he wasn't in this by himself, that there was somebody that was for him. And you want to know something? In the very same way, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you call Jesus the Lord of your life, you are, as the Apostle Paul declares in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, a new creation in Jesus Christ. And as a new creation in Jesus Christ, not only do you have salvation and the hope of heaven, but we also have the promise of Jesus Christ, and that is that you have the very presence of God, the Holy Spirit living inside of you. That means like Joseph when you feel lost. That means that like Joseph, Joseph, when you feel isolated, that means like Joseph, when you may feel all alone, you're not. Because you have the very presence of God in your life. He is in you. And if God is for us, then who in the world could possibly be against us? I think this angelic encounter was like a shot in the veins for Joseph. Because as Matthew records, Joseph takes Mary in. And they're officially married. But this certainly wasn't the end of the loneliness for Joseph. Because according to Luke chapter 2, Mary and Joseph were what? They were required to travel to Bethlehem from Nazareth to Bethlehem for a census, a 70 to 80 mile trip as Bethlehem lies in the outskirts of the Jerusalem area. area. And so they went, as we read, to Bethlehem together. Bob Russell suggests that this trip would have been very stressful on this young couple, and not just because Mary was very pregnant at the time, but because also this couple was likely very poor with little money and very few resources in their life to draw from. And so imagine a 70-plus mile road trip, likely on foot, that's going to mean weeks, if not months, of Joseph not being able to work, being able to provide for his family as he normally would. And so Joseph especially would have carried that burden. He must have felt some intense pressure about not being able to care for his family. At the same time, all of the questions and the uncertainty of what's going to happen when we get to Bethlehem, where would they stay? Like, 
I think about some of those questions that were probably going through Joseph's mind. Like, how can I be the very best husband? Like, how am I going to be the father of this child? And certainly moments of where are you, God, and why are you requiring us to go through these things? And then there was the night that Jesus was born, and pregnancy and delivery in the ancient world was extremely complicated. It wasn't uncommon for the woman to lose her life or for the baby to die or both to die in labor. And so there was already that pressure before them. Mary was under intense pressure. Joseph was too. And add to it in those days, the birth of a firstborn son was typically this incredible celebration, but we can only imagine that the circumstances of this birth meant that this one was going to be very different. And imagine the pressure of raising the Savior of the world. Man, you think raising your kid's hard, all right? Imagine raising the Savior of the world. What a huge, lonely job. But if there's one thing we can learn from Joseph and Mary's life too, but we're talking about Joseph today, it's just this, that God values our obedience in the midst of our loneliness. That even when we're lonely, like in all of life for that matter, whatever it may be, God values he expects our obedience. And again, this is something that both Mary and Joseph would model for us. And our loneliness, like our troubles, just like for them, they don't exempt us as followers of Jesus from obedience. But that certainly doesn't mean that obedience comes easy. It doesn't mean that your decisions or my decisions won't require great faith. But what we see is that even in the difficulties, even in the loneliness... Joseph just kept trusting God. He kept walking in obedience. And God cared for him and provided for him. Mary and Jesus, he provided for their, for their needs. And in case there were any doubts, he sent the shepherds who also uh, experienced a unique encounter with the Lord, if you know their story. And their visit was just one more reminder that this wasn't just some ordinary baby. And then sometime later, magi or wise men are going to come from the east, and, and with them they're going to bring their gifts, their expensive gifts, that likely were going to provide financial resources to this young couple. All that to say, I'm sure... This wasn't the kind of life or story that Joseph had imagined for himself. I mean, lots of moments of excitement and encouragement for sure, but, but also some lonely, challenging days trying to discern what comes next. But from everything we know about Joseph, we know he was faithful. We see his obedience. He kept trusting God and leaning on his words, words like Matthew Chapter 1, verse 23 in the message that the Virgin Mary will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And that's the message of Christmas. That's the message of Jesus, that he is Emmanuel, the God who wants to be with us, which is something that God has always demonstrated. From the very beginning of our Bibles to the very end, to the very end of time, a desire to be with his people. Like he was with Adam and Eve in the garden and continued to lead the Israelites even as he led them out of Egypt and as they were wandering in the wilderness. We know that God dwelt with his people in places like the tabernacle and in the temple in Jerusalem. And then in 2,000 years ago, he came to earth as his son, the son of God, Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. And he did it again when he sent the Holy Spirit and he'll do it again 
when He comes again. And with all of that in mind, like, I wonder, I wonder today if you're feeling the weight and the burden of loneliness. Again, whether that's the weight of losing someone you've loved, could be a good friend. Maybe you're overwhelmed right now by disappointment and suffering. Maybe a brand new parent, and while you wouldn't change these precious moments with your baby for anything, like life feels a little lonely right now. It can feel a little lonely if you're a single parent doing life on your own, or maybe you're new to this community. Maybe you're new to this church, just wanting to get to know others. Like, I don't want you to hear me wrong. Like, it's okay to hurt. I'm not, I'm not saying that we can't hurt. And loneliness is a real emotion that we will all experience. But more than anything, Christmas is a reminder that Jesus is here, that he makes himself available. And when he is the Lord of your life, you and I, we are never alone. Before we wrap today, I want to give you three things, just three, a few next steps, I guess, if you would, that might help you invite God into the loneliness in your life right now. And if you were here last week, you remember this one, because the first one is just simply this. It's a reminder to set aside time each day to just sit as Mary did, not Mary the mother of Joseph, or Mary the mother of Jesus, but Mary the friend of Jesus, but to sit at the feet of Jesus because disciples, followers of Jesus sit at the feet of Jesus. There is nothing more valuable to you and to me than time alone every single day at the feet of Jesus Christ. And so if you did this this past week, I want to encourage you to continue doing it. If you weren't able to do it this past week, would you make it your goal to set an appointment each and every day and just spend some time, even five minutes, even ten minutes alone with Jesus and read from his word and let it fill your heart and tell him what's on your mind and don't be afraid to talk to him about your questions and your fears and let him meet you in your loneliness. But the second thing is this, and that is just the reminder, the encouragement to invite people into your life. You know, we are, we are praying and asking God to keep growing our church family in numbers, but I want him to grow us in depth uh, and in relationships as well. And, and if you're not getting to know others across our Genesis church family, you're missing out on the potential uh, of so much. And, uh, and I'd, I'd say that encouragement for our students here, like if you're a student today, I, I just encourage you to find ways of getting involved and getting connected to others here. Um, uh, one of our uh, students here at Genesis wrote this about his experience with our student ministry. He said, you know, when I first came to GSM, I only had one friend and he just moved out of the neighborhood. At the time, I was extremely introverted and it was, was really nervous about going to youth group with all new people, but GSM immediately made me feel welcome, and within weeks I made friends that I still have to this day. Additionally, GSM has been a huge part of my spiritual growth, mainly because of the opportunity to go to things like MOVE and the winter retreat. Uh, he says, the opportunity to learn about and discuss Jesus outside of this physical building uh, is something I didn't appreciate before GSM. And, and so GSM is a great way to meet people, but, you know, if you're not a student... A great way to meet people here at Genesis is through our connection groups. Uh, there's one young couple that attends our church, uh, Jeremiah and Nicole Stichter, and uh, they wrote a little bit about their experience of relationship, 
relationships here at Genesis. Jeremiah writes, he said, I, I actually started attending Genesis back in 2012 while I was a college student. Uh, but during my time in college, I joined a group of other young adults here at the Noblesville campus. I'm still friends with many of those today. After 10 years, they, they have been a shoulder to lean on during some of the toughest years of my life. They encouraged me and supported me. They helped me through grief and loss. In my late 20s, I realized that God made us and has called us for intentional relationships. He said, I joined a men's group in 2019, and I've been growing since then. Also, I joined our parking team in, in 2019, and so I've been serving around other men in the parking lot here in Genesis. He, he says, the men's wisdom and friendships have helped shape me into the man that God has allowed me to be today. His wife, Nicole, writes this. She said, I started going to Genesis after Jeremiah and I got married in 2021. I had previously been at a really large church and it was a very different experience. And, and not knowing anybody but a couple of people after coming to Genesis, I knew that I needed to get involved. I knew that I needed to meet others. And she points out a book that she had read about friendships and how they've come to the conclusion. She's come to the conclusion that if you really want to be connected with others, you got to put yourself out there. you got to take some steps on, on your own. She says friendships are important healthy ones you share with, with and without your spouse. We, we both needed those friends who we could hang out with and, and without our spouses, friends we could talk to, enjoy spending time with and growing together through the years. And they're in a, a group together as well. And, and they go on to talk about the value of those relationships. See, you and I were made for people. You know, Genesis 2.18 says it's not good to be alone. If we can help you get connected to others, find me, find Steve, find somebody that you know from Genesis. Let us help you take that next step. And then finally, the last thing that I just say about overcoming this loneliness is be Jesus for someone else. You know, there, there's something special. There's something powerful about serving Jesus for others, especially at a time of the year like Christmas through our generosity through our compassion, like it activates something in your lives. Last week, we told you about our big giveaway on Giving Tuesday. Like, I'm sure it was fun to be on the receiving ends of those gifts. I got to tell you, it was fun to be on the giving end of those gifts too. And so, whether you find yourself in a place of loneliness today, and if that's you, I would say, don't let that hold you back from being Jesus to someone else because you might be surprised at how God used that, uses that to activate something in your life. But even if you're in a place today and you'd say, well, I'm, I'm not lonely right now. I've, I've got a lot of good people in my life. How might God want to use you to be Jesus for someone else that's somebody that might need your gift, your time, or maybe your invitation? Do something for someone else. Take a chance and see if God doesn't use your generosity, compassion, or your invitation to activate something in your life. You know, Matthew frames this whole gospel with the truth that he is with us. Matthew 1, right? Jesus has come to be Emmanuel. And then in the very last verse of Matthew, Jesus says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He is with us. That's the message and the power of Christmas. Let's let it change our lives and change the way we see all of life. Will you pray with me? And as we pray, let me just say this. You know, when you surrender your life to Jesus and follow him, it means that he not only forgives your sins, but he promises to walk with you and me through all things, the good and the bad. 
that we are never alone. And maybe you need to take a moment right now and just tell him, Lord Jesus, I need your friendship in my life. I need to be reminded of your presence. I need people in my life. I need to see you working in and around me. And if you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, and if you want his forgiveness, like his companionship, his power in your life as your Savior, Lord, and friend is something that he offers you today. And you can reach out and receive that by just saying, Jesus, I want that in my life. Father, thank you for your great love. Thanks for sending your son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, for the hope that we have in him and for the promise that we are never alone. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.